1: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and three hundred and sixty-five-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Well,
2: thank you so much for coming, everyone. This uh this means a lot to Sid and I. This is our first event, first live event of being a podcast for a year now. Okay. Oh sorry. <laughs> this is generally how our podcast recordings go. So um it's really yeah. It's kind of scary to be in a place where um, we can't control it. We can't edit it. I guess but that's the whole point of doing something like this. Um, so again, thank you so much for coming. It means so much to us. Um, this podcast literally was an idea on the back of a postcard. If you guys have got your zines, you can see the actual postcard um, that I sent to Sid asking her to uh, do a podcast like this, and another podcast after we've reached, I think, ten thousand listens or something. Hmm. Um, so uh, it's, and, uh, we never ever thought that we would do something like this or reach the amount of people that we have. Yeah. Um, so it means so much, honestly, for you guys to be here. Yeah. So like a year on since uh, we had our first episode, um, we've had over 34,000 listeners, including some of you wonderful people, and 37 guests, and going to be the loud and guests you who know, voices and who tell us what they think about things and I'm happy to call us in too. Um, So, we are really pleased and thank you very much for all those things. So, thinking about creating platforms, and essentially this is what we've made here, kind of by accident. Um, You know, platforms can take any form, really. You know, you can make a zine, maybe like ones we put on your chairs, but you can also create like a alternative Twitter account. Um, If there's one lesson we wanted to take from today, Kits. You can be an activist in any way, shape or form, so you don't need to be standing outside parliament, marching all the time, like, you use your resources available and that's kind of what we've done and that's our, kind, that's our form of activism um, and the uh, people on our panel do this way better than we do in much more eloquent and beautifully presented ways. Um, so I guess this is a good opportunity to hand over to our guests and let them introduce themselves so if you maybe want to start. with one of the co-editors of Ladybeard.
3: Hi, this feels like I'm in Westlife or something. <laughs> um, my name's Sive, S-A-D-H-B-H. Um, it's an nice Irish name. I am one of the co-editors of Ladybeard and I'm a cis lesbian. So you want to, to add that detail? Yeah? Um, and I'm very nervous and happy to be here. Amazing. Thank you. I'm
1: Imrie, or Imriel, um, one's my government, one's my nickname. name. Um, I am the mm-hmm. co-host of the Women Millennials, the podcast, and also the CEO of the Shanta Network, which is a podcast network for people from underrepresented backgrounds. Um, I am a black cis woman, and yeah, that's, that's me. Hi, I'm one of
4: the co-hosts of Contented, um, and I'm a brown cis that's me
5: mm-hmm.
2: Thank you so much for, um, Telling us and introducing us to
4: you, especially the listeners who will be listening later. Um, why was it important to you to create this space in the first place? If I can begin with you as consented. Um well I think like me and um, my friend Mike set it up and initially we just found um, the media like ranged from I'd say, like the far right with like the sun to like the centre right which would be like the guardian. And there was just so like, little space for like any critical articles, particularly about race all things grounded colonialism and I think today was a really good example of this with uh, Diane Abbott um, saying Britain invented racism which arguably is true if you uh, look at like, the history of Enlightenment and colonialism and which is like, absolutely smashed in the press and all mainstream journalists, particularly like Toby Young went on a Twitter tirade about like, what racism is um, in 10, ten useful tweets from Toby Young which makes like, that really so, I've indicated making my
1: after that a concern to in particular. And so, with Millennium Millennial, it was kind of an offshoot of FA the Founder of the Shout Out Network wanting to create a podcast network. Um, I didn't know what a podcast was, I had no intentions of ever being on one. More. Um, but because we had such a hard time finding people in our demographic, and my demographic I mean like young, black millennials. Um, one, knowing what a podcast was and understanding why it was important to do it, we said, I said, oh, I'll ask Satya, who is my co-host, and I was she want to start one just to kind of give people a feel for what a podcast is and what we wanted it to look like. Um, and we actually didn't anticipate that it would be kind of the juggernaut that it is today. Um, so it was very much um, Here's what we wanted, and here's what we feel like we're lacking as Black British women. Um, everything that we were consuming at the time was very US-centric. Um, it was focused on US politics. Black Lives Matter was active at the time, and I just remember feeling like really affected mentally um, by everything that was happening. I was like, This is not my personal experience. This is not my day-to-day experience. It's not to say that these things aren't happening. Um, to a degree in the UK, but this is not my experience, extent. We kind of focus about focus on what's happening here. Um, so that's how many millennials sort of started um, and kind of inspired the rest of the kind of podcasts on the network to get on board.
3: So with Lady Beard, um, kind of similar to consented, but from a feminist angle, we um, actually had the idea originally. 2012 but then like we had degrees to do so we couldn't do it for a while um, we wanted to um, reflect back on what mainstream women's so-called media was giving us and reapproach the topics that they kind of hit again and again and again but only did in very like similar ways that represented very few experiences so We do themed issues um, that take very, very broad topics, and then um, try and have as many voices and experiences talking about the ways that they interact with those topics, um, and actually remove ourselves as much as possible from the editorial voice, because as Uh, an editorial team of three white women we actually dominate the conversation in mainstream women's media so we don't write anything we commission out and uh, so what so I guess kind of go back to the question What I've actually forgotten as I said that (laughs) um, but there, there are themes that are hammered again and again and again but they're not approached in interesting or nuanced or ways that reflect Lived experience, and we wanted to create something that did that um, in a celebratory way.
2: Mm. Right, and that's super interesting. Um, you kind of touched on two points there, which I think resonate quite a lot with Sid and I, in that you had this idea quite a while before actually starting it, um, which is something that Sid and I, this was like brewing. in, I mean, you can see in the zine, it was brewing like October 2015, and it was May, it was before May until we started, released our first episode. Um, but also how that you make sure that you're not at the center of the conversation and that's something that Sid and I really try hard to do um, is make sure that, like you said, that we actually dominate what the media is for, for women. Um, and so it's uh, it's really interesting and that's, and that's what drew us to Ladybead. It's a fantastic magazine and I think um, your strap line is that you take the format of a glossy magazine and revolutionize the content and they absolutely do. Um, so how do you guys, work with people because Sid and I, we're, we're friends, friends first and that has been an experience in itself. And I, I mean, can we say business partners or like entrepreneurs, I'm not sure, but um, we, we started something together and, that, and that's been interesting working together and finding ways to do that. How do you guys do it? I guess we can start with Emil.
1: Um, we're great difficulty, actually. Um, it is tough because I mean, uh, it's because I occupy, very, I occupy like three spaces with my co-host. So she was my friend first. Uh, I then became CEO of a network that controls our podcast. And I'm also her co-host, which is a conflict for the network and also for myself. So I'm literally sitting in these three positions. And when it came, We had a really difficult time, especially like around what the network was, what it would mean, how you're my friend fucking please sign this contract, which gives like rights to the network. It was a very difficult conversation to navigate. um, And I think actually we're still kind of feeling some of the effects of that conversation. So I think for now, like when it comes to the podcast, we do kind of keep them quite separate. We keep them quite compartmentalized in that it works better for us to be able to see each other every week, create a really good show that resonates with those people Um, and then our friendship has to kind of be something else and it's kind of changed the way our friendship is a little bit. Um, I'm not sure if it's for the better yet, I think it's too soon to tell, but it is really difficult to kind of navigate that, so be mindful of who you you go into business with, not as like an ominous warning, but just... (laughs) It, it, will, it does change things, I think, yeah, like we have like loads of like bickering things on WhatsApp, like really petty stuff that you wouldn't anticipate happening in the beginning because it's all really fun and then it actually becomes worse somewhere along the way, that happens, so be prepared for that.
3: For us, we just, it was very emotionally intense as we had to like, basically break down the walls of like things that you wouldn't say to your friend and being like, that pitch that you just sent out, it's shit. (laughs) We can't, like, all of those kind of parameters you set for how you deal with people, for us at least, have been completely broken down. And I've never been so frank with anyone as I am with my two co-editors, Kitty and Maddie, Um, probably to the detriment of how I speak to other people now, because I've forgotten that you can't say those kinds of things to other people. and I think that, like you were saying, that's like maybe a good thing, maybe a bad thing, but it's like, it's kind of necessary when you work really intensely on something that is a passion project and is not like, it's not a job. So you don't have those parameters. Well, one, it is a job, but it's not like a job from like on high, if you know what I mean. Yeah, so yeah.
4: Um, I mean, that was all pretty bleak. Like,
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, we're like such good friends, but we can just like say whatever we want to each other. Yeah. I mean, these <laughs> are all the cry death stories. Isn't yeah. will just know we get great. Like
2: you guys are killing it in the podcast world, and you guys are killing it. So like, it works, guys. It's
5: I mean,
4: we're we all quite good pals of it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: like
4: I don't know, like we all get on really well. So it works quite it works quite nicely. Um, if they annoy me, I just introduce them to people as my colleagues, as my friends. <laughs> I feel that's like, much colder. Um, I don't know, Mike's like white, see my white shield. Trying to use things to like defending it to white people. Then I start calling us like reverse racist, So it's all quite useful, but then Mike's getting married as well, which is like not really on brand. <laughs> And a little bit, I feel a little bit left out of the process, really. It's preventing marriage to consensus, all of us in a polyamorous um, sort of open marriage. And he's going kind to of leave us.
2: Damn, Mike. Wherever you are. Oh, yes. <laughs> Take note, you're not allowed to do that, no. <laughs> It's really interesting to hear you talk about like, the things that you um, found difficult and how you worked through them, because that's definitely something
0: that and I found. And I feel like things reached the end at that point, and then now we're at a point where we work really well together, we're actually stronger because of it. But
2: um, yeah, I don't think we even had an idea what we signed up to when we first started doing it. And the thing is, it just keeps growing and it's so exciting, and people tell you that they like it, and you keep going, and then that's it. Yeah. So, how do you ensure that you're platforming a variety of voices with your with your platform? I know you talked quite a little bit with Lady Beard and how you ensure you're only editing us and commissioning pieces.
3: Did you want to elaborate on that a bit? Um not really, that's what it is. So we, we, have, um, we have open calls and we have um, ideas, vague ideas all the different ways something could be approached and we approach people and they give us their ideas and we kind of like kind of what my old boss used to call very uh, succinctly a spray and pray approach to um, commissioning and try and get as many great ideas as possible and then Eventually, you know, page count has to come into it, and so you kind of make it more succinct. Hmm. And what about InRe? I don't think we
1: actually do. Um, I mean, we have loads of guests, we have like, a really good range of guests, but I think it's very much about who we personally find interesting. Like, Melody Learns is a total narcissistic project. I'm not ashamed to say that. Like, it's really narcissistic. It's people I want to meet, um, people that I think are really cool, people that I think have cool stories and I just want to sit down and chat to you for like an hour and a half. So that's how we pick them. Um, and they tend to be kind of representative of us in some way, or they're reflective of me or Satya in some way. So there's kind of been a few like political actors activist guests that Satya is kind of more aligned with, whereas I've had like more mental health and self-care people. And I think for us, it's just about the guest has to bring a different dimension to the conversation. So we, I've been quite guest heavy lately. Um, and that's because I don't know everything, and Nika's just sat here, and we can't just kind of sustain a show about like politics, feminism, social commentary, like law. Like, there's just too much out there, and we just don't know. So, we do try to kind of find people that would resonate with our listeners more so than anything.
2: Fantastic! And how about
1: um, yeah, it's we think about and talk about all
4: the time. And I think similarly, like, and there's only four of us, and we're quite limited in what we can do and in what we. In how we see the world, so I guess we try and like to talk to as many people as we can who are around us and sort of see what they're thinking and try our best to make events as like um, representative as possible, in like platforming different types of ideas. And also likewise, like if we think someone's really interesting, then we'll just sort of put them on a panel and listen to them, and it's quite nice to be.
2: So a bit of a bold question, and feel free not to answer it, but I kind of want to ask about money in the sense of do you make money from it because. Uh, as someone who is um, young and working well, young, working in the media and working in um, something like a podcast, how do you make ends meet with such so, so big passion projects? Do you make any money from it or is it all passion?
1: Does anyone make money? <laughs> <laughs> we have made money here and there, it's not like anywhere near consistent. Um, so like a lot of events, we charge up on the door for that, or on the door, we put the tickets out. Um, and we've supported that, which has been really useful for bringing in some cash, but it's been like, the amount of work gone into creating the live show, it wasn't paid back in any way from ticket Um And on the network side of things, um, we do try to kind of reach out and be proactive sponsors who are trying to reach our audience. So we have worked with like Ebreed Publishing um, and BBC, um, and like those kinds of brands, which are really nice introductory brands for us to work with. So um, it kind of brings in some money, but for the most part, I think events have been the most successful for us. So, like the Shower like that's all that's coming up this summer. That is basically our Kickstarter for building our studio right now. The studio is built into my living room, and like people sit out of my house. <laughs> it's it's Crazy how many guests have just walked through um, our house. Like, jamelia has been in my house, it's nuts. But um, <laughs> we need to get it out now. Like, it's now it's just passion driving it, and we're now looking at Like, for me as a senior, I now look at it like I need to make this a uh, profitable and sustainable business. Um, so, we are looking at how we can do that. So, the festival probably going to be an annual thing, but we'll see. Hopefully, it makes us in a place to live. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Planning this. laughs>
4: yeah, um, we, yeah, we We from the money, it's considered that it. like, everyone who works get us gets paid, um, and it's quite important to us to pay. I do like, so much stuff that I didn't get paid for, and so many of the people that I know and work with uh, likewise. We charge for the magazine, it's like £7.50, and we charge for events, and then like, anyone who speaks at the event gets paid, and everyone who writes for the magazine gets paid. It's not great And no one's getting lifted out of poverty, and we're not going to be upending austerity anytime soon, but it's like something I guess at least we try to do
3: yeah same Um, we on the team we don't get paid we make enough money from print from sale of the magazine and an annual launch party because we don't have enough energy to do anything else and that, that goes back into printing the magazine and paying our contributors so like I don't know, the dream is one day that we'll make money, but I've made minus money so far and probably will continue to for a while, but that's why I have to work full-time and why I'm so tired all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's something that Sid and I definitely relate to as well as...
2: Uh, we've got some of our guests in the audience here and we can't pay any of our guests right now which is even, why we're even more appreciative because you're giving up your time, um, we can't cover expenses right now but that is a goal um, from doing things like this is that eventually we'll get a sponsorship and then pay our guests at least for their, um, covering their expenses because one thing that we want to do is pay people for their time. Um, so yeah, that's no, really interesting. So how do you manage like, the work, life, passion, balance? How do, you, how do you do all of that and still find time for self-care, for your friends, for the people that matter?
3: <sighs> uh, do we? <laughs> I can't speak for you guys but I'm knackered all the time and my girlfriend is constantly annoyed. <laughs> She's not here so I can say that. <laughs> Don't get this, this is recorded. <laughs> Oh
1: yeah, it's recorded. Cool. will listen until to it tomorrow. It's fine. <laughs> How about you, two? Yeah. Uh, oh, that's such a good question. Well, spoiler alert: I was fired, so I was forced into doing a shout-out at <laughs> work full time, which was the best thing ever to happen to me. And yeah, like I remember going through like a bit of a mental health crisis around that time. Anyway, it was a really rough year. So I, I kind of just remember taking that time, I was kind of forced to take time to just like chill, um, catch up on some sleep, and then we per- planned the first ShoutOut Live um, kind of launch party. And I just remember being like three months so busy and so stressed. Um, but it was good because it was something that I loved doing and I was really pleased with the end result. But like I've been doing, up until about a month ago, I was doing shout-out pretty much full time which was a privilege, and that's because I am a kept woman, <laughs> and my boyfriend funds my life. He's not well-paid at all, but it was kind of a privilege that I was able to kind of just live like, rent-free, um, and kind of not have any responsibilities, which enabled me to kind of go through a problem on some of the stuff that's enabled the network to get where it is now. Um, and now, to a point where I'm now working two to three days a week, um, because I can't I <laughs> think mm-hmm. like
4: yeah um, I well, I think my aunt just makes it a lot easier to be honest mm-hmm. and my mom's like kitchen sort of like the unofficial consent in my office but in terms of like self-care shocking to be honest mm-hmm. I dream dreams about magazines <laughs> okay. I genuinely I have <laughs> nightmares nightmares about magazines and like about events and stuff and it's just all consuming I guess because we're all friends as well it takes over like our social because we're just like it's difficult to just hang out. But I just say, if my friends have got to come to the events, if you want to see us, so you have got to buy a ticket and come
2: through.
4: <laughs> <laughs> and if they don't, then they uh, dead it off, basically.
2: So something that is kind of links all of our platforms is that we all, in some way or another, define the mainstream, in a way. Um, what do you think the mainstream can learn from platforms like ours? So maybe start with contented?
4: Uh, sort of things that are fucking racist. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think there's anything that the mainstream can learn because the mainstream is built to maintain like the status quo. Like it has to exist to like recreate oppressions, and I think the only way that the mainstream sort of moves around that is if something is cool or in, in, is like interesting at the time. So you will hear like um, people who colour platforms because it's sort of like cool and in fashion, but it's like only a bit of sort of, like window dressing to the fact that they're violently like, reproducing the logic of capitalism, colonialism, patriarchy, and all of these things because that's what it exists to do. So I don't really think there's anything they can learn. But I guess for us, what we learn is that if you look at question time and see how pale and mail is, we just, when we did our panels, were like, it needs to look like the opposite of that. And that
5: was useful. Yeah, um,
3: I'd say, um, yeah, using it personally as like a barometer of what not to do It's probably the way that we can learn from it. And then I guess what they could learn Actually, I don't know. I agree with you. It's like it it exists to sustain systems already. And it also, especially for what we do, it exists to perpetuate consumerism. So you're only going to get what is superficial out of um, whatever act of political violence is in vogue. So I think the one thing that would be good is if it learned how to use language better and not just like reproduce violent and like stigmatising language over and over again um, like thoughtlessly even while it's like trying to do good things an example that happened today is um Rene de Lodge is on the cover of Stylist which is incredible and I picked it up for the first time ever I think because she was on it and then in the first paragraph it had like very, like explicitly transphobic language to describe the Walthamstow cafe they were in to like Add colour and show that it was like grimy. It was like, it was awful. I think repetitive thoughtlessness, even whilst trying to do good, is so mindless. And like, I think that I don't think that they could learn that from us because they're not going to listen to us. But I think it's what should be learned if possible. That was very earnest. (laughs) I feel like I'm a very earnest one here. (laughs) Oh, you guys have a really good answer. (laughs) Really good. I agree with what they said. and <laughs> um, I
1: guess what I would add because I guess now I technically work in the media, um, is that they should just hire people and let them just do whatever they want because that's what I university that seems to be working. Um, it's not like a foolproof plan because we've had some really kind of terrible situations on hold, but we've also had some really great things on hold. Um, but yeah, I don't think I actually just stopped paying attention to the media, like I literally open up my laptop and go on to like the Guardian and the Daily Mail for (laughs) balance on the day of a recording of the episode because I I have no idea what's happening in this world because it's just so horrible and mentally draining. So I guess what they could learn to do is kind of report on the positive sides of being like an ethnic minority or um, other genders, like it could just be a little bit more balanced but it's probably not going to be, and I'm not that hopeful, so, yeah. stick with the fringe platforms, they're doing great.
2: All three of your platforms have um, given quite a lot of space to talk about mental health. So you've both um, had an issue of a magazine dedicated to it, and you've also had like, quite a few guests. The main doesn't really talk about mental health well or very productively, unless it's convenient, I suppose. Why was mental health so important for you to cover? Uh,
1: me? Mostly because I am deeply afflicted by depression and anxiety almost every single year. Um, So it was very personal to me, and then I had a family member go through a crisis where I had to section them, and And once I got to the hospital um, when they were sectioned, it was like all black women, Um, and then on the men's floor it was all black men, and I was like, whoa. I don't really like you don't. Until I was confronted with it, I didn't realize the extent of that problem. And when it hits you, it's like one of those things where um, you don't realize like how deeply troubling that is. And when you start to kind of dig around and see the kind of care that people receive specifically as ethnic minorities in the system, it's so shocking, so appalling that I was like, there's no way I can't not talk about it. As someone that's affected and also could equally be in crisis at a later stage in my life, because you don't know what's going to happen. So it was very important for me to definitely kind of lend a voice to people. and I've had like, the last time I was at General Assembly someone said like, you know that episode of went Health did save my life um, and it saved a friends' life. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> well, that's what I mean to for. So it, it, it's, it's personal. That's why I cover
3: Yeah, I would echo it's personal. And also because, like you said, it's either talked about if it's convenient or talked about in a way that's very palatable. So, um, very recently people have started to talk a lot more about depression mainly and anxiety, but in a very like naive time to talk, we've got to talk about it. It's like, yeah, well that's only the first step unless you dig deeper and you actually support people and provide services and don't just present like don't just talk about the palatable manifestations of mental health Problems, you're not actually doing anything, you're just being quite self congratulatory about it. And so that's one reason why we did it. And the other reason was um, we actually did it on mind, which is slightly different, is because we wanted to challenge ourselves. We wanted to see if we could make something uh, tangible that is very intangible. So, not just mental health, but like how we interact with each other and our perceptions of each other and how psychology and psychiatry affects the way that um, we understand science and the world and stuff and it was just it was one of those things that we thought we'd be really proud of if we did it so it's actually quite self-aggrandizing as well so <laughs> never mind.
4: Um, yeah I'd say for me um like, yeah, my dad was just like an incredibly emotionally abusive alcoholic, a really serious alcoholic. And growing up, me and my sister spent a lot of our time sort of trying to parent him, trying to save him
5: uh, from himself, I guess, and trying to make him better. And I think in the process, I like, damaged myself quite significantly. And then when I tried to like, understand these things, um,
4: I realised how much it affected me. And then I sort of just, like, I guess, linked it to like wider issues. And obviously, I love a bit of Franz Fanon and like um, post colonialism and things like that. And these things are hugely applicable to current mental health problems. certain people have, and I think if we talk about mental health, the sort of Prince Harry and the, the Royal Family, sort of the crass obsession with this campaign that they're running, it's just never get to the bottom of, the, of, a, of, the, of, a, of a problem. And I think we have to acknowledge that certain types of bodies are conditioned to suffer from mental health problems, and certain people are conditioned to thrive at the expense of other people. And for me, there's no point in talking about something like, uh, mental health without talking about like colonialism or, or patriarchy or all these other um, systems of oppression in which we live under, because as long as we live under those, we're, some of us are always going to be a bit unhappy, unfortunately, and that's kind of what we try to do in the magazine, for better or for
5: worse.
2: I mean, this is like a whole topic that we could just talk about now, really. I mean, we've done mental health, but not nearly to the depth that it should be done to, and it's something that we definitely want to revisit. I kind of want to go back to a little bit um, in terms of when we were talking about mainstream media, what they can learn from us, and then I kind of got a vibe of almost like censorship in terms of, so you mentioned about like, the transphobic language and a lot of the, some of the, I don't want to say barriers, but some of the questions that I get asked or some people tell me, they're like, oh, but if you're telling me that I can't say this, that's censoring my language. How do you deal with those in your platforms?
1: Ignore <laughs> <Yeah>. them. <laughs> You get told stuff all the time. I, just, I don't care. I don't have the patience. You do not pay me to teach you. I'm not a teacher. Like, I don't. I do don't all I don't. I, I don't to be honest. Um, there is some people, there are enough people in this world who are educated or woke enough to want to go at that person in their mentions, and I let them do it, because I do not have the time. So, that's my answer. State to print,
3: and then people can't come with
5: Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code
0: LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is
4: designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com.
5: Yeah, I'd say show me a straight white man who
4: says he's insensitive and I'll show you a liar. To be honest, and I just think that people just need some people just like are all online and just go on about <laughs> these sort cool of people. And we, we had an event, we did an event a while ago on, um, I can't remember, it was on democracy and that is democracy in crisis. And someone um, got up and announced themselves as a Trump supporter, which is very, like, I was, of the, sort of people who come to our event and sort of was like, you know, I feel like this isn't a safe space for me as a Trump supporter.
5: <laughs> you know, why are you platforming
4: these views? And I was just sort of like, just turn on the TV if you want to see these hateful um, views platformed, then, like, this is not what we're about, you know, it's meant to be, for want of a better term, uh, a counter-hegemonic project, if you like. And that is the, the hegemony, like, that's mainstream. Like, these ideas are so mainstream and, like, the fact that like, the fact that Marisa, when I guess Tracy, was like, as a black woman, I couldn't go to a Trump event without fear of being killed. And like, thankfully, or well, not thankfully, uh, this person was able to come to the event and feel safe enough to express these outlandish and outrageous views. And I think these people honestly just need to shut up and, you know, <laughs> 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 We went to an event by Barbara who was on episode number two about
2: beauty, and um, she had a black woman we talking about platforms that they created. And something that really surprised me and was kind of a wake-up, I suppose, to our own privilege is that she talked about how much hate she got online and how much everyone else in the room got. Um, and that was something that, as though we, we've had this, but it's actually not been anywhere near as much as, as the other women in the room, and that was quite a, a wake-up call. So uh, I guess my question was, um, what barriers have you come up against, um, and how did you overcome them?
3: I'm a white woman. There aren't actually that many. I'm a white cis woman, at most I'm like a token in a room of straight people, but that doesn't happen that often anymore, so like, on a personal level that is, and um, I think on um, a lady ladybeard level as well, we all have a lot of privilege, so it would be facetious for, for us to say that we had barriers beyond our own well-being, as in ter- as like mental health and self care and all of that stuff. Um, because we we what am I trying to say? <laughs> we didn't we don't face systemic barriers in the way that other people do, but we just work with people who face more barriers and try and platform them. So we just try and not be a barrier for other people, I guess. Yeah, I
4: guess likewise we try not to be barriers for other people. Um, and just like me and Mike are still two straight blows, so it's kind of a bit more complex. And Mike's like white as well, so like he wouldn't know Barry if It's would smack me in the face. Poor <laughs> oh <my goodness>. Mike. <laughs> yeah, that's what he
1: wants <laughs> you to say. Yeah, don't, don't, don't <laughs> get into so it. not so <laughs> 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 Sorry, what was
5: the question? It
1: was about Barry. I mean, uh, where to begin? So, we are two black women on a show. The show is called Melanin Millennials. I had to pause to say that. And we get like, people kind of making assumptions, usually straight white men, funny enough, uh, making assumptions about what the show's going to be. There was that really grotesque human um, that Barbara faced up against on Channel 4. I don't know if uh, uh, anyone's about there was like a, dock, like a mini doc on like the horizon right, really It was awful. Um, I don't remember the idiot's like, name, but he basically waved a refugee paper in the Barbara and me's face, saying, why does she take one in? Um, and that was just kind of like symbolic of like everything that we go through <laughs> like black women online that are even marginally outspoken. Um, there's always someone trying to please or say, police how we think. What we but look like, just yeah, yeah, all of that. And um, I think, like, the worst that I personally had was when um, I faced off with Nigel Farage that one time, and he sent his army of racists to me on Twitter. So, for three days, I went mean, through pure and utter hell um, with um, like all these white men just kind of saying, You're racist, you're racist. And eventually, I remember like looking like obsessively watching footage back. Like, did I see something racist? I don't, really, I don't think I, And it's really it's so triggering, like, especially after three days of like, unadulterated, like, a, an attack on your mental health, and attack on your being, and attack on yourself. It's very, it's very triggering, but it, it's, it's one of those things that like, Dieter Apple goes through that every single day. Like, I actually have to like, I've toned down my trauma in like, I can try but I've had to stop because I'm like, this is actually really hard. I don't know how people manage to go through that. And I really commend Diana. I don't even my politics, but she goes through that every day. So that's just like one of the many barriers um, that we go through. But in terms of like the podcast and, and like just podcasting in general, we had like a really hard time um, when we started out. Like access to iTunes, for example, was extremely difficult for us. Um, Getting yeah, like into meeting rooms with like some of the key partners in the beginning, which is like non-existent. Like people just ignore us uh, until we kind of land in the garden one time and they're like, Oh, hi. <laughs> we want to know, you know, you guys are cool. And <laughs> like so we had to be in like white mainstream media for you to like recognise that we have voices that matter. So there is like a lot of crap happening, but it's slightly getting better, but the trolling of black women I don't it's just, it's really, really it's really yeah. grotesque and it's not i done
2: about it. Have you guys ever been, been told to almost like tone down your identities or your platforms to be more palatable to a white, cis, heteronormative media?
3: Well, we never really tried to sell it to anyone, so no one's ever asked us to, because we don't have ads either. We're very self-contained, I think, probably, but... Who knows? I mean, hopefully, down in a few years we'll actually be viable business people because we are terrible business people. But it's like just, just print the magazine. Like let's just get it done. Like don't do anything to try and grow, which is maybe not good, but probably should be saying that. We're great and you should support us.
2: Uh, you all talked about some of the things that have been tricky, whether it's like working with like uh, co-editors or co-creators, or um, the backlash you can face online, and uh, managing self-care and time and money and all of this stuff. I want to know what makes it worth it. I want to know why you keep doing it, and what makes it worth it. I can tell you that for me, is anytime anyone says, "I listened to your episode and I really liked it," and even more so when someone says like that topic really resonated with me, like you mentioned before. So what, what makes it worth it
1: for you? the listeners. I realised pretty early on, like, despite everything that's happening, the fact that this is bigger than me now, um, so even if I wanted to quit, which I kind of but if I wanted to, I'm kind of like, there's about, like, there's tens of thousands of people that are just like, where's the episode? Yeah. It's late, and I would doing like my episode, and I'm like, there's a lot of pressure on that, it's very overwhelming, but it's also kind of rewarding because there have been enough people to say, like, you are my self care. And I don't want to be, not be someone's self love, I kind of do, but I don't. I don't want to take that away from someone if that's what they feel like they need. And until it's more of us doing it, that they've got so much choice that they don't need us more than a the time, then I can retire like Sebastian said he did Yeah, I guess Ross is right. Like,
4: yeah, it's a bit of a struggle sometimes. Like I said, I have nightmares about
5: a magazine. A magazine's like killing me in my dreams. But, like, I get quite like with my co editors, like, three amazing people, and we have, like,
4: wonderful conversations. And I think I'm actually quite lucky you know, to, like, read books and, like, listen to some, like, really interesting people. And I think that's a really, like, wonderful thing when some like, people are, like, 9 to 5 like, office grinds and cleaning with the trend and stuff. So, I guess it is, like, I think to work it, it And also, yeah, when people say, like, oh, I really like that, or, people shut down the transport,
2: so it's always quite elevating. <laughs> I kind of wanted to talk about a little bit about activism, I guess. Um, so, activism, we kind of talked about it a little bit earlier, in that it's kind of painted as this act that you have to be marching somewhere, you have to be on hunger strike somewhere. Do you guys consider yourselves activists at all? I'm
4: not sure if it's like a moniker you can give yourself, I just think sometimes it's a bit like, I don't know, it's so crazy for people you know, I am an activist, but I am a revolutionary or something like that. Is it something you can, is it a times you
5: can give yourself?
4: I don't know, guys, what does it mean in this? If you're actively doing something, you are an activist, I guess, by very nature. I wouldn't say that we feel ourselves as activists, but I guess we're trying to support Groups to do that, so we're doing an event on June fifteenth, a little plug. Everyone, June fifteenth. Uh <laughs> June fifteenth. <June 15th>, yeah, um <laughs> called Is a State as Well as possible, which is like a fundraiser for the Hangar anti Network, which I guess they are like legitimately activists. Um, so we'll raise funds for them. I guess that's how we would try to support groups like that.
1: What about being young know, being an activist? Or is your platform formal activism? I wouldn't call myself an activist because mm-hmm. I have like a very staunch mm-hmm. anti-march. Personally, I, I'm more like when you're starting to throw the molotovs, you'll find me. When it's like, violent, I'll be yeah. But yeah, I, I'm not, I don't want to say I'm an activist. I think people give us that label, and I'm okay with people giving me that, I'm, and I'm okay with people giving the podcast that as well. So if people say, I don't, I don't want to say that learning is a form of activism, that's fine. If they want to say self care, that's fine. If they want to say it's trash, that's also fine. Anything is fine, but um, me, myself, no, I'm not an activist, but I'm acutely aware of what's going on, I'm
3: so, okay, very actively doing something. So, okay. yeah. I think, oh, that was real slow, wasn't it? I think it would be unfair for us to call ourselves activists because for me, I, more personally, I think it's, when you're doing something that has a concrete goal and you actively take things down and you can see change happening. And whilst I think what we all do is very important in like world of media or whatever, you don't get those kind of concrete changes. And I think that there are activists who do actively God repetition of that word man who do do these things and you can see change and they're doing like incredible things who deserve way more praise than I think that Lady Bird does like Sisters Uncut Car- is phenomenal and I think that's like key activism. Whereas I think what we do is I mean it's it's media which is like wonderful and powerful and like impacts how we see ourselves and each other. But it's not governmental change, you know? So, right. yes and no? But it, it, surely it starts from somewhere, like and as the,
2: as the media, as the form of media, um, that change is going to start somewhere. Oh no, I, totally, I, I do totally
3: agree. agree with that. I just think, as size, maybe not as Ladybird, I've spoken to the other girls, I think it's active concrete change that affects lives in concrete ways, and maybe i um, you know, shitting on what we do by saying that.
2: Actually, we, we all have a role to play. I think, I, I completely agree with you, and I also think sometimes, even by doing something smaller, as, it's like creating a space, and then you realise how many people need that space, Like it's a form of self-care, and we're all contributing, hopefully, something bigger. Um, I think you've had a lot from Elena and I asking questions, and I think it's time to open it up to the audience and see if you guys have any right questions. So
1: if you have a question, raise your hand and then shout it loudly, right? And we'll repeat it so that it's in the microphone. Yeah? So if we're sat in the audience and we're like, oh my god, I've got a great idea, uh, but I don't know what to do about it, what would be your advice to people that will start on the platform if, if we're so happy? Like, oh, I want to start something. What should
0: we first thing that we should do? Do it. <laughs> <laughs> By a domain name, or whatever you want to call it, or we'll think of a name. So it was a place to start. Then and by the, the demand names and you and buy all as well. Yeah, just start it.
1: I think Satya <laughs> and I discussed it from February twenty fifteen. We started recording in late October of twenty fifteen. So there was a lot of conversation in there. She was bored for most of that, so, so it, it couldn't happen. But just do it and start small and recognise that maybe like the first iterations of your idea are going to be really shit. Um, so, so either toss them out or keep them for you know your own personal reasons, it so will get better with time. Like, we're definitely much better at broadcasting than we were a year ago. And it also sounds a lot better than it did a year ago.
3: Yeah, I would just like just message that friend that you were thinking about doing it with and then be like, okay, we'll have coffee this Saturday, and then you set up a plan and like we have a secret Bid issue that we did in 24-30 that is just in my mum's basement and nobody can see it because it's shameful but we did it and now we can do it in a way that we actually let people read. Yeah. So it's, it's baby steps but you know eventually you start actually walking. Our episode number one on privilege, I was really nice
2: about it.
3: Well, no, I like it as a topic, but as you <laughs> listen back
2: to it, having come uh, a year later in the podcasting and learning how to um, ask questions or how to edit or, or all of those things. I could have come a long way. But today, I'm with to and the am privileged to one of their favorite episodes. So even the little scrappy ones, I guess the, the first ones, are
3: something that's it. <laughs> Do you have any tips for starting
4: something? No, I was just see they go. go. Yeah!
3: I imagine that working on,
2: this is for all of you, working on sort of a passion project where you're not really obligated to show up or be there um, can get quite exhausting and it can feel maybe really easy to take a step back or, or just give up entirely, especially maybe in the beginning. Um, so I'm just wondering if you guys have had
3: those moments before and if so, like what, what kind of motivated you to just get over it and keep going? Well, I was deeply unemployed when we started doing it, and we all were. And, like, it was the only thing that felt like it was giving us structure. And, like, because there are quite a few of us, everyone at some point is underemployed or unemployed, and they're the ones who are like, right, okay, guys, we've got to keep going. And I'm like, I'm so tired. It's been 9 to 6 all week. And they're like, no, we we'll are meeting tomorrow. And so it just, like, you kind of, like, you push each other and then you get the good bits and they're so good and like, you experience the joy of actually making it and you remember that for a bit, but then you forget because it's like childbirth and you just do it again. Um, but then your friends keep asking you about it, like when you're gonna have another kid, when's the next magazine coming out, you're like, oh fuck, okay, let's start just dating, like okay, okay,
1: so. That was a really nice analogy. Um, Joe, I think it was a lot easier because I, we were kind of responsible to the founder of the network in a way, so um, there was like this third person. Because even though we're friends, and we're probably individually just a bit ridiculous, timely see, um, the fact that it was like so many next recording. We're recording this, we're recording last week, um, and that schedule was there. And then there was kind of this accountability between the two of us. And then because it grew so fast, so quickly, like within months, we were on like thousands of listeners. um, We were really kind of held to account by them, like a little bit. So it was like, yeah, technically we could have just like dropped out for a week or two. But then there was actually at least one person in our village who was like, "But the episode is late. Can I have it <laughs> um, So we've been quite fortunate. So when we went on like a four-week hiatus, we were getting like all of these tweets like, "When are you coming back? When are you coming back?" It's been three weeks, and I was like, "Oh, I'm going to come back. I'm come back." Like, it did not give a date, um, but we definitely got questions. So there was like the people that support you asking you and holding you accountable. So that kept us going for sure. Um, yeah, for us, a lot of day goes by without about crisis. But there's four of
4: us, so we can just gas each other up and we'll just be like, yeah, it's fine, isn't it? And then your person will be like, yeah, it's fine. And then afterwards, we just think it's all fine. It <laughs> <laughs> yeah. sort of works like, quite a lot, of it? And if not because, like, Mike is just like a white man walking, walking, talking pillar uh, of mediocrity and we're just like, <laughs> And that confidence then kind like, of oozes into us, and we all feel more confident just by being his proximity
2: like
5: radiation poisoning.
2: Yeah, so I think, um, yeah, I don't really think I can follow on from that, really. Um, I think for us, it really helped adding some sort of structure to it, in that I definitely couldn't have done this on my own, and I think. For us, because it's a passion project, it's not something that we're like, paid to do or we're employed to do, um, I, I need Sid for this podcast, um, and so I think, and it kind of resonates the same with what we've all said in that like, you have someone else there to like, spare you once. The amount of times I've called Sid and freaked out about something, and then Sid's just been like, okay, that's fine, and then you're like, oh shit, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> The way we yeah. we found the thing worked well is to like create little deadlines for yourself. was okay so that by this time we want to found the guests, by this time we will to recorded the guests. And then before you yeah. know it, you're yeah. looking at your area's uh and you're like, Oh, it's that weak I should have done this by like, okay, so that gives you a bit of a kick. And then also just keep do it with someone that cares about it and work together. So when I'm really busy, I'll travel in and I'm like, really this is already can't research the guests can you do it? And then she will take over and then we keep, keep swinging and as things get busier and busier, we're having more of these crisis chats and lunch breaks. <laughs> 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 and then you work, you do something, and you put something out there, people say, oh my gosh, that's really, that's really meant something to me and, and it kind of just makes it um, worth it. It's worth the passion, it's worth the energy. Yeah, I feel like we can start podcasts podcast about like panicked phone calls in the corridor at work. Like yeah. the amount of times that corridor at work probably seen me in tears on the phone to sit over something. Mm-hmm. Um, I know but <laughs> mm-hmm. no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have any final questions? Yeah, go for it. What does feminism mean to you? Good question. What does feminism mean to you? Come on. <laughs> <can I begin? laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> do <laughs> <She was. laughs>
4: <She really laughs> you <like>, <laughs> Set me up to manslay Lane. No chance. My sister don't be like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> manslaying.
3: Like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> A lot? <laughs> 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 Potentially. Like, <what? laughs> um... Well... I sound like a ghost. <laughs> 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 and then you're having Um me. Yeah, it means a lot. And it's like, given the framework for a lot of what we do, um, and it's the driving force and motivation behind a lot of the incredible people I know in terms of giving a name to something that we felt our whole lives and giving a way to understand how and why things happen to us the way that they do. Uh, and it's something to fight against as well. I don't know if that's the answer you're looking for, but it's what you're getting,
1: so. <laughs> 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 uh, I saw this on the cheating and I hope it would never come up. <laughs> <laughs> actually, no, I um, oh, what does feminism mean to me? So, early in life, I was like, I guess I'm anti-feminist, I just didn't think it was like a thing, and I oh. was thinking like, stronger, like what are we talking about? This is not up <laughs> to debate. Um, so I was just a terrible human being. When uh, I was 16. Um, and now, since doing this podcast, um, I found that I kind of really come into it a little bit. Um, I've come to understand what it means. and have a very complicated relationship with feminism, in that, as a black woman, I'm very much excluded from much of the conversations around it. Um, I feel that it's not relevant or applicable in any way, shape, or to me. And then on the other side, I have been able to form some really great friendships, some really great personal and business relationships because of what feminism is and the kind of active movement that there is, especially around intersectionality, you might sit in there. Um, just through, like, just our kind of Common understanding and love of feminism. So, or Um uh, So, I guess it's, it's it's very conflicted for me. Um, there is that kind of whole separate principle of womenism, which is kind of more applicable to black women, that I kind of subscribe to a little bit, which is a lot more intersectional understanding of, of the struggle. So, it does mean a lot to me, but it's very complicated at the same time. Um, I, I think
4: that, like, so the question that we were asked on the sheet was like, would you call yourself a feminist right. and I would say that like, could a white person call themselves anti-racist? And I probably say no, because like I was born to be a misogynist, just because that's like the world in which we were brought up in. And I think that like it's always a bit disingenuous. Like Justin Trudeau was like, um, this is what feminist looks like. I remember the teacher that they war mm-hmm. and then implemented like really brutal austerity, which was, like, as part of a coalition government which obviously hurt have women like, disproportionately have been people disproportionately. So I think that like, yeah, I just don't know if, like, a man. But, like, I don't think it's a monarchy you can give yourself again. And I think that like, it's something we would always try to support, and every latterly, who uh, our co editors are like, committed, like feminists, so and obviously we do our best to like, listen to them. <laughs> let them rule, let them rule, rule the <laughs> Feminists take over. The other thing that I would
3: add that you remind me of that T-shirt is that, those t-shirts, they were made in horrific uh, conditions in Bangladesh, which is where the majority of our clothing comes from. And it's like such a succinct example of the way that consumerism and corporations have co-opted feminism. So like, feminism in the mainstream media is a superficial moniker that is Taylor Swift girl power, squad, goals, oh my god, they're all friends in that Instagram post, I can't believe it, they're elevating each other. <laughs> and that's it. Or it's like, it's like, just bullshit. And um, it's not looking into what those structures actually mean on the ground level, not looking at how, I, how misogyny and sexism affects working class women, affects black women, affects um, non-binary people, affects every manifestation of not a cis, white, straight man. And that is what it should be. It's not what it is on billboards. And I think that what's great about things like tonight, and I guess what we're trying to do is to not do that and try and kind of bring those two manifestations as close together as possible, whether or not we can succeed. I mean, it's, it's capitalism and consumerism. It's probably not. We can't take it down personally, but at least it's like. And I don't don't buy those fucking t-shirts. <laughs> they are definitely made by kids. Like, don't do it. Don't wear it as a slogan. Try and like, embody it. I think for for me, it maybe also to be a later too.
2: Feminism um, has enabled me to ask questions. So about whose responsibility is. So for example, if I'm being cat in the street, is it actually my fault or is it actually the fault of the person who saying that like It's like a really basic example. But this also made me think about emotional labour, and amount emotional labour I might put into like a podcast or into like work with conversations and like actually um, made me think and ask a lot of questions of myself. And also it's about trying to be intersectional and like it's not easy it's, you know looking at your own privilege and trying to um, to kind of like anticipate the questions that people might ask of you or might challenge you on, to try and call other people really when you can, um, to make a mistake and then to apologise for it and to get back on it. Um, I mean it, it shouldn't be easy, right? But the, for me, feminism is the ongoing challenge of trying to figure out what I can do to make the best use of the resources that I have access to um, and trying to just be a better person and I kind of like that ongoing Ongoing challenge. So feminism for me is the gateway for me to be, even being, able to think about other people's experiences and how we can support them, which I guess links us back up to all of the, the platforms that we've created and how we've tried to do that. Oh god! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I can match that. Yeah, feminism for me it's definitely been a journey. So when I first, when when we first started this podcast, I you can see in the in, in the postcard I said. I said that I wanted to start a podcast around feminism and specifically around women's issues. And I remember meeting up with Sid, and she was like, Okay, I'm happy to do a podcast, but it has to be intersectional. And I had no idea what that meant. Um, And so for me, feminism, it's taken, it's it's had all its variations, you know. Um, I don't know, I I don't know how abstract we want to get with it, but it's something that's like almost kind of become like a guiding compass, and that I've use, I think, about feminism in like, every interaction that I have, whether it's at, at work, or whether it's chatting to my housemates, about everything. Um, I think we're coming to the end of the podcast episode, Well, actually I will ask you very quickly just to um, give us a quick sentence about where we can find out more about what you're doing, how people can support you, and if got anything that's coming up, you'd like to support you with you're in a million.
3: The issue's not going to be out until like October, November, so keep your eyes and ears peeled after summer. Um, and we're going to have a couple of events, and we're going to be relaunching really our website soon, so it will be much nicer So Basically nothing at the moment. <laughs> we're working on it, I promise. Yeah. Can you still buy any of your issues? Neither sold out. But, um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, yeah. Give us money we'll reprint. Yeah. <laughs> just, just like fork.
1: <laughs> um you can find me at Melanie Mill, that's M-I-L-L-E at the end on Twitter. Uh Metallica Millennials everywhere else. Which is SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, wherever. Um, and also we have a huge podcast festival well. I may have mentioned once otherwise. Um celebrating people of color and podcasting featuring like another round. The uh, Friends of which is mental health and wellness podcast in the state. Another podcast that I can't talk well about because they haven't announced themselves and we're wait for them to so do, we'll do it. But it's a huge, huge celebration with Melanie Melanie was there. Be some of you guys here actually. Um, we'll talk. But um, <laughs> like a massive celebration of UK podcasting, American podcasting, and just the general life experience. So you can get, um, if you want to come along and help support and fund our studio, Shout out and network studios, um, you can get things at like, So, like, dot don't um, Okay, we've got so many. Um,
4: so, June 15th again, we've got the, the fundraiser, the enterator. June 18th at Birkbeck University, we've got four workshops called Dissecting Sex, which my mum is coming to, it's about politics, not the practice. But I guess some of the politics forms the practice. So, who knows, mum could be a pretty interesting industry day. Um, and then July 9th, we've got our say, third magazine, which we're putting together at the moment and 30th of July, we have got a day, of decolonizing partition. So, yeah, white people come, pay for reparations for some kind, <laughs> feel better about themselves you pay for these events. And we have put magazines like, on to the black magazines. Yeah, amazing. So
2: that's pretty much it. Yeah, thank you very much.